It's our privilege to make these messages available to you. We pray that the Word of God will richly bless you. So let's get right into the Word with Pastor Rusty Martin. Praise God. You can turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 17. We've been looking at the subject of faith for a little bit. Hallelujah. You know, the way these things operate, according to the Word of God, what's amazing is, is how much teaching and revelation came forth on the subject of faith, and basically also the protocol in which it operates, and uh, how much of that's been rejected uh, by Holy Ghost people, not just by you know, denominational people, denominational people, uh, you know, they just, they go, they're, they're, they're going to feed on what their denomination produces and pretty much guard themselves against anything else because denominations are very controlling. Back in, uh, in the 90s, the early 90s, they, uh, Brother Hagen used to have, Kenneth e. Hagen used to have camp meetings in uh, uh, Tulsa, Oklahoma every July, I think it was in July. And uh, out of one of those uh, camp meetings came a book called, uh, Plans, Purposes, and Pursuits, which really brought powerful correction to the body of Christ on several different, on several different levels. If you read the book, you'll see uh, uh, you know, literally what he was trying to correct, those things that he was, uh, you know, by the Holy Ghost, trying to correct. And for the most part, that book was rejected in the body of Christ. I mean, it was like, you know, we don't want that. He, you know, he, he uh, uh, addressed... Um, uh, uh, Subjects like clapping, clapping your hands, applause. He brought out the fact that clapping is neither praise nor worship. And, you know, you people, how many churches you've been in with, let's give the Lord a hand clap. You can't do that. You know, that's, a, uh, uh, that, that's neither praise nor worship. And how, uh, how it really draws away from, it doesn't add to what the Spirit of God is trying to do. But, you know, from that period forward, what was really a strong move of God amongst those that, that were... Uh, in that camp and in that faith uh, ministry like that, began to greatly regress. By the time Brother Hagin went to be with the Lord, they were holding camp meeting at the Rama Church with about 3,500 to 5,000 people, where all through the 80s and 90s, they held it at the Tulsa Convention Center with 35,000 people. Another thing that happened was a meeting that took place in which they addressed the subject of prosperity. And uh, because the body of Christ had absolutely gone into the ditch on the subject of prosperity. Uh, there were ministers that were out preaching on it uh, and basically making statements, uh, you know, things that the Lord had showed them or said to them, which it was obvious the Lord had showed that to them on a personal level. That's why you've got to be careful with personal conviction. Had said, you know, certain things and they turned it into catchphrases and printed on T-shirts and coffee cups and made fortunes over it, absolutely made fortunes over it. And when uh, Brother Hagen tried to correct it, he, uh, you know, that was pretty much rejected. And it literally created a huge vacuum in the body of Christ. And out of that vacuum came what we call the, uh, the user-friendly, seeker-friendly phenomenon, which basically happened about the time this church started. And it's still, you know, it's still a, a, a strong force in the, in, the, uh, in the nation today, but it's losing its momentum because of results. They just don't get any results. Then on the other side of that, you've got a whole lot of people that have, they're in this kind of an apathetic, complacent, but then you add the word prophetic to it. Like everything has to do with prophetic. You know, it's got to be a prophetic word here, a prophetic word there. Well, all of it's wrong. Every bit of it's wrong. You say, what do you mean it's all wrong? Our standard is the word of God. John chapter 7, Jesus said, you know, he that believeth on me as the scriptures hath said. Now, I'm saying all this because I'm, you know, preparing, fixing to go to Ireland. I know what I'm going to be facing there. A lot of this has gone on in, in that nation. And uh, we saw the peak of the move of God in that nation about 1997, 98, where, I mean, the move of God was a phenomenal, phenomenal thing to, to behold, observe, and participate in. And, and now there's just basically a smoldering of, of that left, and uh, God's wanting to raise that back up. And, you know, these kind of things have to be, you know, address. So a lot of people have questions, especially, you know, we get together in these unity services like this and, and people respond in different ways. And, 
And you can notice, you can, you can pretty much tell atmospheres, how atmospheres are created uh, so that the, uh, you know, people can understand how the anointing moves. And so a lot of that, you know, even though it's been re- uh, rejected uh, uh, by the church for the most part, you, you still going to have to address it. And one of the things we've done here at Island Church is to stay uh, uh, right in line with that. Now, a lot of people are very resistant against anything to do with Brother Hagen. Now, it's a shame uh, they don't understand who he is. They don't understand the effect that he had upon the body of Christ. Uh, 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 I guess I'm probably a little more bent the other direction because I grew up around him. You know, my dad and mom were involved in his ministry for many years. Our pastors, he looked to our pastors as, as, as great uh, uh, pastors and uh, um, you know friends. Uh, he would make the statement that he would drive 100 miles out of his way just to go pray with mom and dad Goodwin. And not only that, I've had mom Goodwin sit and talk to us about him and his ministry. But literally since Martin Luther, since Martin Luther, no other man has affected the body of Christ more than Kenneth E. Hagin. No other man. He's the most prolific writer, and, not, and that's not in, in volume. That's in how many books he's, he's actually sold. For 43 different languages, over 360 million books of his have been distributed around the world. And one book alone literally changed the entire body of Christ, even more so than Martin Luther's revelation of the just shall live by faith. You say, what book was that? The Authority of the Believer. The authority believer literally changed the body of Christ. Where people begin to see that, hey man, you know, <laughs> I have authority in the kingdom of God. So the reason I say that is to, is to help you understand when we teach on these precepts and principles of faith, there is one unique, how can I say this? There is one unique aspect that you're going to have to consider for yourself. And that is the uniqueness of who you are, your own personality, your own makeup. You cannot get outside the standards of what the word of God says. But every person receives on their own level of faith, depending on that which they're depending on that which they're willing to obey. Amen. Faith has has different flavors everywhere you go. I, I saw uh, uh, when I was with Paul and Shotty Chase in the Philippines, a very unique uh, a, a flavor of an effort of faith in the Philippine Islands, which is getting great results, tremendous results. Uh, you go up to Tulsa to Pastor Mark's church, you see another one. You go to Pastor Sam's church, you see another one. You go to different places. And they're unique to the personality, which has to do with the location of a church, the, uh, the, the area in which it is. I've been out in California many times. I've been up in Idaho. I've been over in Missouri. I've been in many states. And, and you go to these places and you see that there are different things that, that affect the message, but the actual application of it is the same everywhere. There's no, there's no variation. There's no saying, well, we do it this way here and get great results, and, but we do it this way over here, which is different. It, it, that, that doesn't work. It all is done uh, in the same way. There's a, there's a protocol of faith that is all work. Uh, the, the first is it, it comes by hearing and hearing by the word. There's nothing that will violate that. Nothing that will, you can't get around that and say, well, you know, we've got a great church over here, and what we did is we prayed for faith, and God gave it to us. And, well, that's not faith. Whatever God gave you wasn't faith. Amen. Uh, you got another group over here may say, well, you know, we really don't uh, base our faith on the Word of God, but man, we got some great testimonies in our church, and so when we need faith, we get Sister Jones to get up and testify about how she got healed of cancer, and we got Brother Bob to get up and testify about how God bailed out his business, and we got, uh, you know, uh, Aunt Molly over here, she's going to get up and testify how, you know, how God gave her money to get her house painted. I mean, it's, it doesn't work like that. You can't You can't get outside the perimeter of what God has given us in that we understand as we go through these stories in the Bible, the Gospels, uh, uh, the woman with the issue of blood, blind Bartimaeus, we're going to look at the ten lepers today. There are the things that we see that are the same are the standards. The things that we see that are the same are the standards. And so when you understand that, you, you, you have to have an understanding of, okay, there are certain things that are set. You know, uh, uh, it says in, in Psalms uh, what is it, 119, 118, 119? Forever, O Lord, their word is settled in heaven. So there are settled realities that you cannot violate. You can't violate it. Now, I get a lot of criticism, whether you know it or not. There's a lot of people that are very critical of, of the way I operate. They think I'm very arrogant. They think I'm very, uh, uh, you know, like, I think I know something that other people... What, what, what really, in the end of the day, I'm just very confident in what I believe. 
I talk to people all the time, and when I get to talking to them, they get so squirrely about their belief and their belief system because they're not sure of it. They hope it works. You know, they hope it, well, I hope it all works out. I hope it, I hope it, well, you can't live in hope. You got to live in faith. And faith does produce a confidence that if you don't know what that confidence is, you're going to mistake it for something else. Amen. I remember meeting uh, Brother Kenneth Copeland. I'm not going to tell the whole story, but it was hilarious. It was absolutely a hilarious story. And, and uh, uh, you know, when uh, however we, another friend of mine and I picked him up. He landed in an airplane. Actually, it was him and Jerry Savelle. And uh, I've never met a more intimidating presence than Kenneth Copeland. He's only this tall. He's a little short guy. He's not very tall at all. And and for two hours, as we went to eat, as we, as we got him checked into a hotel, as we did that, he never said one word. And the, more, and the less he said, the more intimidating it got. Now, I, was, I found it kind of funny because I was, I, was, I was not in the car with them. I was in the car with his son, and his son's a big hunter. So, you know, we started talking about hunting and all this kind of stuff. And he was laughing about how his dad was acting, you know. And so, you know, this went on and on and on till, uh, you know, uh, uh, we got them all checked in, got them all. And so we went down to the restaurant in the hotel to have a dessert. And then all of a sudden, he just started telling story after story after story, and all that stuff lifted. But then I've heard other people get around and say, well, he's the most cockiest person I've ever seen in my life. He just thinks he knows everything. Just on and on and on and on. But they don't understand that there is a presence and a confidence in what the Word can produce that gets into people, that if you do not judge it correctly, you're going you're gonna to misjudge it. Amen? Because literally it's those type of people who produce more. They give more money. They, they, their, their meetings influence more people. Uh, their churches have more influence in an area. And, there's, and, and many times when God does something in an area, He goes to them and says, I'm going to do it here. And, 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 and yesterday I got up and I, and I went to, I, I didn't even thinking about this. I got up and I, and I cut my iPad on. I was on my way to play a, 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 a badminton. The church was closed. And what came on? Brother Hagin teaching on the Lord's Prayer. First thing he said, Lord's Prayer ain't even relevant today. Don't pray the Lord's Prayer. That's the stupidest thing you can do is pray the Lord's Prayer. That's not the Lord's Prayer. That's the disciples' prayer. That's a transitional prayer between two dispensations. And he just went point after point after point and show us how every one of those things that is prayed has already been answered. Amen. He said, well, what point are you trying to make today? Stay with the standard of what story after story after story in the Gospels produces. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the Word of God. Your source of faith is the Word. Then you've got to begin to speak it. What is your heart? What is your dream? What is your desire? I was meditating the other day on Psalms uh, where it says, delight yourself in the Lord and he'll give you the desire of the heart. So I was worshiping God and thanking God for, for our home, for our church, uh, for, for getting to go to Ireland again, for, for, you know, going hunting, for all these things. And the Lord spoke to me and he says, that's not the desire I'm talking about. I said, what do you mean? He said, if you delight yourself in me, I give you a desire for me. I give you a desire. All those other material things are irrelevant. That's basically what you want. What I want is you. And when I, I want you so much that if you delight yourself in me, I give you a desire for me. Now, in the Word of God, all of these things that we're, that we're studying when it comes to faith are people with great needs. Needs motivated them. You wonder how motivated they would be without their need. I mean, the woman with the issue of blood, if she would not have had an issue of blood. Uh, uh, Bartimaeus, if he would not have been blind. Lepers, if they... Well, you really can't read around that and wonder about that because the reality is they did come to Jesus. They did initiate something. And I believe that if we'll look at that one reality of, you know, and that's one thing we're going to have to face around here is this sovereignty issue. Well, God is sovereign. You tell people, you know, well, you know, God will heal you. Well, I don't know about that. Why, why, why won't you believe God? Because God is sovereign. What does that mean? What it means is this. God sits in heaven and chooses who gets what. Now think about that for a minute. 
God sits in heaven and chooses who gets what. That is literally what is meant by the sovereignty of God. God is sovereign. Well, we pray for grandma. She didn't get healed. Well, why didn't she get healed? Because God is sovereign. Well, we pray for Uncle Bob. He did get healed. Why is that? Because God is sovereign. That's, it's not, that catchphrase is not the answer to why what does work and what doesn't work. Now, in studying the Word and being a student of the Word of God for many years, I've learned that, yes, God is sovereign, but His sovereignty has boundaries and, poli- and, and perimeters. And the perimeters and boundaries of His sovereignty is wrapped up in His Word. Yes, God is sovereign, and because of His sovereignty, He desires that every person get saved. Are you with me? And, and, and because of His sovereignty, He desires that every person be healed. That's God's desire. You know, uh, when, when uh, uh, Brother Hagin was teaching on the Lord's Prayer, he said, you know where it says here, uh, Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. He says, there's no sickness and disease in heaven. That's the will of God. So it's God's will that they be what? No sickness or disease on earth. So if somebody dies, believe in God for healing, you can't say, well, that was the sovereignty of God because he wants what's going on in heaven going on on earth. So when people throw that phrase at you or use that phrase, well, God is sovereign, God is sovereign, you ought to look them in the eye and say, what does that mean to you? That God picks and chooses who he's going to. Now, what that's called, there's a doctrine that, that, that that's called. It's called Calvinism. There's a couple of denominations that believe in the new birth, but they believe in it based on Calvinism, predestination, that there's a predestination reality on the planet in which God has already chosen because he knows everything, so he already knows who his family will be. He already knows everything, so he knows who his family will be, so he's already predestined that some get saved and others don't. That's totally erroneous. It does not line up with the Word of God. If that's true, why are we having church? Why, why am I going to Ireland? Why, why are we fixing to send $12,000 to the world? Why, why are we doing all this if God is sovereign and already knows everybody's going to get saved and already knows everybody, who it's going to be? Because whether we preach to them or not, they're going to get saved because God is sovereign. See, that's not true. There's no truth in that at all. You say, what do you mean? If we don't go get them, they don't, they don't get God. That's just the way it is. Now, here's these 10 lepers. I don't know if the if if their if their condition as being lepers, you know, people talk about it being hereditary. I think they've pretty much proven, from what I've read, they've pretty pretty much proven that most of it, most of the leprosy of the Middle East is called dry leprosy, and is not contagious. They used to think it was contagious, but back then, if you were a leper, they considered Somewhere in your lineage, a curse was put on your family. You were cursed. So, you know, they were afraid it was contagious. They were afraid if you would, uh, you know, that you could get it, could be passed from person to person. So all lepers, uh, you know, this is before the, uh, the mercy of leper colonies and all these type of things. All lepers were put into garbage dumps. And by law, they had to stay there. Now, how they got information in which they got, I don't know, but they had information because faith only comes by information. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God and what we need. Brother Osteen used to tell, us, tell it to us all the time. He said, what we need more than inspiration is information. There's an enormous amount of inspiration, but you have to have information of the Word of God. So verse 11 starts like this. It came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Samaria is an area that he kept bumping up against it's an area of rejected people with a people they called half half breeds. Uh, just just the Jews and the and the Samaritans did not get along. As he entered into a certain village, there met him ten men. Everybody say ten men. There was a, that were lepers which stood afar off. Now the reason they stood afar off, it was illegal for them to approach anybody. You could not have an approaching posture. As a leper, you could be actually arrested. Like if, like if I was a leper and Roland got up and started walking toward me, I'd have to, ba- I'd have to start backing up immediately. I, I, you cannot. And as a leper, I could not approach him. That was the law of the day, and that wasn't just enforced by Rome. That was actually the law that was enforced by the Sanhedrin and by the rabbis of the day. And so, uh, uh, which stood afar off, and they lifted up their voices. Everybody say they lifted up their voices, and said, "Jesus, Master, have mercy on us." Now, this is the, 
You can either call it the depth or the shallowness. Depends on who you are of the revelation. Number one, Jesus is the master. Now, I'm sure that the entire area that Jesus was traveling in was a buzz with his activity. For the, for the first time ever, uh, Lee and I, usually on Sundays I, after the services, I'm pretty much beat. I go home and take a nap and lay down. But I got home and uh, Ben-Hur came on. And I never, I've seen bits and pieces of it all my life, but I never saw the whole movie. It's three hours and 42 minutes. Charlton Heston, yeah. And so we watched it. And so, you know, it was all about Judah Ben-Hur and his, everything that went on. And, you know, Jesus gave him a drink of water and then, and then he comes back into Jerusalem after all this ordeal. But then what was amazing is, is to hear them talk about Jesus and how they begin to say, well, you know, uh, uh, I think it was one of those Roman centurions, the guy that he raced, actually, was the Roman centurion that was saying, well, you know, they said this. He had this long piece of paper, and he was reading it to Pontius Pilate. They said, uh, 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 they said he fed 5,000 people in Galilee with a few loaves and a few fishes. They said he healed a blind man. They said he healed lepers. They said he, so the information about Jesus was being circulated mouth to mouth all over that region, all over that region. Now, remember this about Jesus. He was the Word, is the Word, forever will be the Word. When you talk about Jesus, you're talking about the Word. So, so they somehow figured out, this guy's the Master. He's the Master. Now, if you study that Word, if you go look in your Greek concordance, it's actually the word Master has to do with a, a, a ownership situation between a master and a slave. So what's that they're actually talking about? This guy, of all the masters there, that there are, the, you know, you've got Pilate, he's a master. You've got, you've got King Herod, he's a... But this is the master. That's like literally what they were saying. Of all the levels of masters, he's the master. Now that takes a revelation. So that's the basis for their revelation. Then, then, then the same one that we saw when we saw Bartimaeus, have mercy on us. He has the ability to impart mercy or to give mercy. Now, now, if you go in front of a judge, you get in trouble. Say you get a speeding ticket, you know, and it costs you $1,200, and you stand in front of the judge, and you say, well, you know, man, I was on my way to, to Island Church. I had to get there, get in the presence of God. And, and, and I got caught. Have mercy on me. Well, well, that's the correct person to ask for mercy. Don't go over to the bailiff and say, uh, would you have mercy on me? Because he can't do nothing. Don't go to the court reporter and say, would you have mercy on me? Because they can't do anything. You have to go to the correct individual that has the ability to give you the mercy that you need. So in a two-fold or a two-part revelation, they got it right. He got that, Those ten guys got it right. Jesus, Master, have mercy. You sit at the highest, you sit on the highest throne, you sit in the highest position as Master over everything, we need your mercy. Everybody say mercy. Now, notice this. It says, when he saw them, he said unto them, go show yourselves unto the priest. Everybody say, go show yourselves unto the priest. Now, this is an immediate response to their request, which they obviously must have been Jewish because they understood that. Because if you go back in the book of Leviticus, there is a protocol for a priest to determine whether or not an individual has been cured of leprosy. It's a, I think it's a, last time I looked at it, I think, if I'm not mistaken, it's three different things that they do to determine you're a leprosy. Actually, physical things that they do to your body to determine whether the leprosy has left your body. So, according to Levitical law, he was giving them an instruction that they should adhere to as if they had been cured. Because uncured lepers don't go to the priest. Let me try that again. Uncured lepers don't go to the priest. Cured lepers go to the priest. But they're standing there, crying out to Jesus. Jesus gives them an instruction. Now this instruction is based on law. Everybody say law. But remember this about Jesus. Jesus was a 
trans-dispensational entity. He stood with feet in two dispensations. Amen? He stood under that old covenant. He ministered under the covenant of Abraham, under the covenant of Moses, under the covenant of David. Amen? But on this one, he ministered by the Holy Ghost. He ministered by the Spirit of God. He was anointed in John's baptism by the Holy Ghost, so he ministered in the power of the Holy Ghost. So he's trans. So, so there's one dispensation that's ending. Everybody say ending. And one that's coming. Everybody say coming. So he says, go show yourselves to the priest. Now this is so neat. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. So in obedience to the law, to Moses' covenant, and through the instructions of the word, they acted in faith. And they took off toward the priest. And I don't know how it happened. You can, you know, use your imagination. I bet it was awesome. One started looking at another. Another started looking at another. And they began to look at each other and go, oh, my God. Oh, my God. You know, because that Mediterranean skin tone of being, you know, most of them have olive skin over there. Literally, leprosy makes you look like somebody. If you have beautiful black skin or beautiful white skin, beautiful olive skin, doesn't matter. It looks like somebody smears ashes on you. Because it's your skin in constant state of literally being eaten away by the disease. So you look like you look like you got ashes on. So all of a sudden that ashen look is gone, and that beautiful olive skin begins to come back, begins to rise again to the surface, and they begin to see glory to God. Healing is taking place. Amen. So they begin to see that. Now notice this. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he one of them, when he saw he was healed, everybody say cleansed, healed, cleansed, healed. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God. Now notice this. One of them, when he saw he was healed. So he's a cleansed and healed leper. But now he turns back. Now, this, this, this begs a little examination. Because now... On the surface, it looks like he is being disobedient to the command of Jesus. Because Jesus told him, go to the priest. Show yourself to the priest. Obey the law. Do what Moses said. But then one of them, when he saw he was cleansed and healed, he turned back. Everybody say, turn back. Now, this is our tendency many times. When, when, when faith begins to manifest and blessing begins to come to an individual, a family, a business, a church, it's easy to get legalistic. Say, well, this is how it works. Because we've proved it. This is how it works, because we've proved it. But there's always a turning back to the source. Because Jesus is what? He's the author and the finisher of our faith. Amen. And the problem is, anytime we step out of liberty, we step into law. Anytime we step, the Bible says over in Romans, where the Spirit of the Lord, there is, the, uh, excuse me, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians, where the Spirit of the Lord, there is liberty. And every, every time we turn away from liberty, we step into law. So much legalism occurs, especially in people that get results. You say, what do you mean? I can talk to people today who are very critical of the way that we believe. But in the meantime, to talk to them and to get them on the subject of faith, they'll go back 10, 20, and sometimes 30 years ago and talk about what God did. And God did this, and God did that, and it was so supernatural, and God did this, and God did that, and it was so powerful. And God did this, and God did that. But the, the question begs to be asked, what has he done for you lately? Yeah, amen. amen. So that many times what that is, it is a ability to continue down the wrong path. To go down the path of that which is legalistic. That which is legalistic is that which we've proved and put our, put our tent stakes around says this is the only way it can happen. So why, this is the only way we can do it. Because, see, we got a prayer answered back in 1975, and this is the way we did it. So we're still waiting. You see what I'm saying? 
but now notice this. And one of them, when he saw he was healed, turned back. Everybody say, turn back. And with a loud voice glorified God. Now, this is why this happens. God does impressive things. I mean, agree with that. He does impressive things. But you cannot be more impressed with what he does than who he is. Because anytime you get more impressed with what he does than who he is, you will go into that legalism. Because your, ba- your faith will continually be based on what he does. So you're continually in the struggle to get him to do something. Amen? Now, with that in mind, and I don't want to go into the scripture, with that in mind, we'll take a little rabbit trail and come right back to this. With that in mind, remember, these stories were written before Jesus died, was buried, and was resurrected. And before the Spirit of God was poured out upon the church and the church started. Now we live in that dispensation that was to come, the acceptable year of the Lord. It's something you've got to keep constantly in your mind and your heart or you'll get messed up. There is no activity that God's going to perform for you. He's not going to do anything for you. And when you realize, see, so many people, that's what they're, in conversations I've had with people lately that are outside my sphere of, of, of friends and people that I talk with all the time that have the same language that I do, it's, it's almost a, a, a given that we are trying to get God to do something for us. We've got to get God to do something for us. We're doing everything. Can you help us to get God to do something for us? And when you get up and say things like, God's not going to heal you. God's not going to save you. God's not going to bless you. He's already done it. That's what redemption was all about. Because many people, I'm telling you, I'm so amazed at the people, especially in ministry, that have no clue about redemption. They have no clue whatsoever that this is a finished reality. Everything that God's done, He actually did it before creation came onto the planet. The seventh day, we're still in the seventh day of God's, he's still at rest. Jesus was the lamb slain from where? Before the, found out, before the world was created, he already knew the plan that was going to take place. He already knew what you'd need, I'd need. He already, and, and what he did for Israel is he gave them what they needed on a credit card, and then he came and made a deposit in the bank of heaven for us through redemption, and now we have everything we need. So what have we talked about over and over and over? Faith brings it from the heart of God into the reality of man. The reality of God becomes the reality of man through faith. But when you follow the process more than you do the person, because if you follow the person, the process becomes your lifestyle. But if you follow the process more than you do the person, then the process becomes your law. I can't believe I said I was sick. Oh, my God. I can't believe I said I, oh, I'm probably going to get double pneumonia. Amen? I remember when, when uh, I was in Bible school, Brother Osteen was teaching us on uh, confession. And they started talking about when they first started hearing Brother Hagen teach on confession and how you needed to say the right thing and speak the Word of God. He said, we used to, one phrase we used to say all the time was, good grief. He said, I used to say that, good grief, good grief. And he says, finally, somebody said, there's no grief that's good. I'm never going to say that again. No grief is good, you know. And then they were careful about, he said, every little thing we said, every little thing we said, you know, we were just constantly on each other. Now, you can't say that. You can't say that. You can't say that. Well, I don't, most of y'all don't know Pastor Doty the way we do, but Pastor Doty's a character. She's a true character. And, and, and she, Brother Osteen said, at one point, Pastor Doty said this, John Osteen, I'm going to have you put on my gravestone. I told you I was sick. Now that one revelation right there will help you understand the reality of making a law out of a liberty. Well, I know why I've got the flu because, you know, I, I, I was supposed to be confessing healing scriptures for uh, every day. And I missed three days last week, so that's, I guess that's the door where the devil got in and gave me the flu. Well, you didn't believe what you were confessing the other four days you were confessing it. Amen? Because you're using it as a law. You didn't turn back. Because <laughs> it's not your confession that gets you healed. It's Jesus 
is Jesus that heals you. And so much, that's why so many people have got so frustrated in this faith thing is because they do all of the ABCs, they dot every I, they cross every T, and still they're standing there with nothing from God, not realizing that it's not your acts or works of righteousness which is going to cause the provision of God coming into your life. It's your walk with God because He is the author and the finisher of your faith. So the Bible says one. Everybody say one. One, turn back. Everybody say, that's me. He fell on his feet. Now notice how he fell. He fell in a particular posture. He fell on his feet giving thanks. This is why praise and worship is so important. Worship especially is a key to receiving. Amen? It is an absolute key to receiving. We pray and 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 we don't get any results and, 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 and it's just a legalistic thing we go through not realizing that true worship from your spirit can never be legalistic. And what does it say over in John 3, uh, John, well, John, 3 John 4? That, that, that God is a spirit. Those that worship Him must worship Him in spirit and in truth or in spirit by the Word of God because the Word of God is truth. So this guy, he does the right thing. You would think all of the other nine, as they keep going, they go, they probably turn back and say, you ain't going to get nothing. You're breaking the law. Amen? You're breaking the law. You're breaking the law. You're not going to get... But he came back to the source. And your journey should always bring you back to the source. Always bring you back to the source where you're more impressed with who has produced what you're getting than what you're getting. Now, that phenomenon, oh, my Lord, I don't know how many people in our field ministry, our pastoral ministry, in our missionary work, everything that we do, there's always those in great need that get it. They get their miracle. They get their provision, but they become more impressed with the provision than they are with the one that produced it. Years ago, we were members of another church. There was a, 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 a young man that came, and I remember him because he seemed so on fire for God. And this guy had so much potential. He was just so on fire for God. Now, his great need, he wanted to get married. He wanted a wife. And you know what? He found a young lady. A young lady started coming to church. They started dating. They got married. And I'll never forget watching the process of how they went from one row to the next, to the next, to the next, all the way to the back of the church, then out the door. And you never saw them again. You never saw them again. And the last time I heard of them, they had stayed married for four or five years, had a couple of children, and now they're divorced. Because they got what they wanted from God. But they did not turn back. That's why people lose healings. That's why prosperity will come, and all of a sudden people will handle it for a little bit of a while, but they get so impressed with the, with the money. That's, that, that's where the prosperity thing went into the ditch. I mean, I heard preachers get up and preach, the, the whole Bible is the prosperity message. No, it's not. Actually, the Bible says of prosperity, it is the least of all revelations. The least. That means it ought to be the easiest thing for us to walk in. Just obey, just obey the word, tithe and offer. Just obey the word and listen for the, to the voice of God when he says to do something financially, you do it. That's the easiest thing in the world to do. So this guy turned back and fell into the right posture, began to worship, began to thank God. But now notice, let's close with this. Jesus had an unusual reaction. Jesus answering said, were there not ten cleansed, but where are the nine? Obviously, Jesus had an expectation in him. He asked the question, where's everybody at? One guy? Amen. Notice what he says. Were there not ten cleansed? Didn't I, didn't I heal every one of them? Where are the nine? So he's really not, first of all, responding to the one. He's responding to the nine. Why didn't they come back? Why didn't they come back? They're not found to return. Now notice this phrase here. To give glory to God. Save this stranger. Your response to anything God does in your life needs to be giving glory to God. Now, you know, you say that in a meeting at church. Everybody goes, amen, amen, amen. But you find, in reality, how very rare that is. How very rare that is. 
for people to actually to turn. You say, what does that mean to give glory? That means to take what God has done for you and what it has impressed upon you on the inside and let it out. Well, I shout, well, I dance. I run. That really is not the issue. Everything that God does in your life that produces a material blessing, a healing, a, a, a healing in a marriage or a family, whatever it does, ought to draw you closer and closer to Jesus. Anything that separates you from it, you ought to get it out of your life as soon as possible. Amen? You say, why? Because it's going to put you in legalism and in the law. I've, some of the most amazing people I've ever talked to in my life, and I remember one in particular. Uh, we would, Lee and I had married, been, been married about a year. I was, uh, I was uh, been duck hunting. And I was cleaning ducks in my front yard. And the Jehovah Witnesses came through. And there was a, there was a grandmother, a mother, and a young lady, and a, and a, and a, and a man. And so the man, they kind of walked through, and I, was, I, was, I didn't want to talk with them, nothing like that. So, but he was interested in what I was doing, cleaning these ducks. He'd been a duck hunter in the past, so he was wanting to see the, see the birds. So I got to talking to him, and I wasn't wasn't talking about religious things or anything like that. And so he asked me what I did for a living. I said, I'm a minister. I'm a preacher. He said, really? I said, yeah. And he asked me where I went to church. I told him. He asked me what I did. So I told him. This is what he said to me. He said, you know, I used to be a Baptist. That's what he said to me. He said, I used to be a Baptist. And he said, but that tithing, I knew right then and there what happened. You know, but that tithing, I went to several Baptist churches here in the area, and every one of those pastors talked about tithing, 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 tithing. All they talked about tithing. So I looked around, and I found me someone that didn't believe in tithing. Well, you did. You absolutely did. And I looked at him, and I said, well, just because they don't believe in tithing, what makes you think they believe in the things that are right according to the Word of God? He said, well, I don't know. But all I know is I feel a whole lot better about God when I don't have to tithe. <laughs> well, who are you, what are you going to say to somebody like that? But what he did was, is he took a principle of the Word of God that he opposed. And instead of allowing the Word of God to change his own heart, he hardened his heart to the point that he was willing, listen, if you make a transition from the Baptist denomination into Jehovah's Witnesses, you're willing to denounce your salvation. You're willing to say, I don't believe. You need to believe in your heart, confess with your mouth that God raised Jesus from the dead. What I'm doing is I'm rolling the dice that I'm going to be one of the 144. Well, I literally last night read about the 144 in my, my, biblical, my personal biblical study of the Bible. I'm in Revelations right now. And the 144 has nothing to do with Jehovah's Witnesses. Nothing. That shows you how deception starts. He went into extreme. He actually went from something a little legalistic, but thank God they believe in the new birth and getting born again and going to heaven. But there's enough predestination and Calvinism in that to keep him on the way to the priest. And on the way to the, on the, way to the priest, what happens? That's where you get messed up. But when you turn back, everybody say turn back. Real quick, let me close this. He turned back. They are not found to return to give glory to God, save this stranger. He said unto him, arise, go thy way. Thy faith has made thee whole. Everybody say whole. Now, nine had been what? Healed and cleansed. Healed and cleansed. The, the first time I ever saw this, I was in a meeting, the second camp meeting I ever preached. There were, there were four speakers. There was myself, Pastor Walter Hallam, a guy named Mark Hankins, and an evangelist named Rudy Vitoshnik. We were down in a church in Corpus Christi called Tabernacle of Praise. And I was sandwiched right in between Pastor Hallam, Mark Hankins, me, then Rudy Vitoshnik. And I was very intimidated having to preach in that particular setting. And I needed a word from God. And I got into this scripture, and the Lord took that word whole and lifted it up off the page. And so I grabbed the material that I had and a concord, and I began to study the word whole and wholeness, which literally has its basis or its roots in the word shalom, which is a greeting. When one Jewish person says shalom to another, 
it's almost kind of like the word aloha. It, it means peace. It means prosperity. It means healing. It means the complete package of all the goodness that an individual could experience be yours. Now, that's the bedrock or the, or the foundation of this word whole, wholeness. When you really break it down into its true definition, it is this definition. All the assembly of parts put back together. Not the way it was before the problem existed, but before it was when the, before there was a fall in the garden. So it's the total provision of what God wants creation to have. So Jesus said to this man, all the assembly of parts of your life are put back together. Be whole. So we've drawn this illustration before. Ten men experienced a tremendous encounter with the Word, with Jesus. Amen? But nine of them bore the scars of their past. Although they were no longer lepers, they bore the scars of leprosy. The disfigurement of leprosy. Leprosy being what? A type of sin. There's so many people in the body of Christ that you can look at them or talk with them and tell they used to be. They used to be. They used to be. You say, what? The way they talk, the way they act. But then there are others that find a place in their life of wholeness where they have come back and made not what they're receiving from God the center of their life, but made Jesus the center of their life. And there was a ingredient or element of wholeness. You look at them and you can't ever tell they used to be. They used to be. So we've got nine that, man, they, we get them come preach, praise God, and they'll stand up here with fingers missing and scars on their face, and we can look at them and say, we can tell you used to be. But then one of them would get up, and anything that was disfigured upon him was restored because he was not just cleansed and healed, he was made whole. Now that process, if you take that process, we may do this when I get back. When, if you take this process and go into the redemptive message, the cross, the burial, and the resurrection, you will see the cleansing, the healing, and the wholeness of God provided for us in Christ Jesus. And so many people get settled, get, get satisfied along the path with just cleansing and healing. But I want to tell you something. A person that's just cleansed and healed has to tell the story. They have to tell the story. Are you with me? You say, what do you mean? Well, you walk down the street and, and somebody says, man, were you in an industrial accident or maybe you were a soldier and were, have, is this battle wounds on you? On you? And, no, 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 man. I'm going to tell you. Let me tell you the story. Amen. But see, someone made, that's made whole really don't have to tell the story because they are the story. Everything about them preaches it. Everything about their life. Everything about their, oh, we'll just put it in today's vernacular, about their, their marriage, everything about their finances, everything about their health, everything about their, everything about their life radiates that wholeness because wholeness is not a partial and part of something they receive from God. Whole is who they are. And that is what God is desiring to do in this day and age. It's not just to cleanse and heal people. Thank God for the cross. You know, there, there's one particular group of Pentecostals that that's all they're about is the cross. And I love their teaching. They've got some of the most solid teaching on the cross I've ever heard. And honey, they preach it up one side and down the other. And everybody's got a big old cross on. They got crosses all over the church. Cross, the cross, the cross. And I love the cross. I love to teach on the cross. But that's just part and parcel of it. You see what I'm saying? Because God has provided for us a total package of wholeness. A total package of wholeness where when God finishes up, what? Because of our true posture, we come back to the origin. Immediately upon the reception of anything from God, turn back and come to Him and fall on your face and begin to worship in that posture of worship. He can do exceedingly abundantly above all you ask or think. You say, why? Faith ought to always draw you back to Him, not to another project. Oh, my time's up. The, the statistics about, among pastors, that, and we've, Lee and I have experienced this. It's sad. Uh, pastors, they say, pastors that actually build, independent pastors, charismatic, word of faith, whoever they are, that actually you know, launch out by faith and build a building. 
that over 65% of them within two years are not even in the ministry. Not even in the ministry. Gone. You know why that is? Because we've experienced it. It's because that's been the big, ugh, you know. I've put all my faith, all the faith of the church, and now here it is. One, one individual, bless his heart, one individual, they built a beautiful church, several million dollars. This is back in the late 90s. And uh, had a big camp meeting. Brother Hagen, Keith Moore. Who else was at that camp meeting? Uh, Ed Dufresne. I mean, you name the faith preacher was at that camp meeting. On the last night of the meeting, that pastor was out there dancing. The Holy Ghost fell over the floor dead. And so talking to somebody about it later who was at the meeting when he fell over dead. I said, why in the, how did that happen? He said, because this guy was obsessed with this building. He would not back off. He was at that, th he was at that place every day. He had his own hard hat. He had this, he had that. He was so obsessed with it. He wore himself out in faith. And dropped dead on the floor. <laughs> on his opening camp meeting, celebration camp meeting, dedication building set. Isn't that terrible? He said, well, what are we going to do? Are you going to be out of the ministry two years after the building? Nope, not me. You say, why? Because that building, all it is is the next passing blessing. That's all it is. That's all it is. It's just the next passing blessing on our path of righteousness for his namesake. And I don't care. They can build the building out of solid 24-carat gold bricks and put giant diamonds on every doorknob Amen? And run, you know, pure root beer through all of the thickets. I like root beer. Amen? No caffeine. Praise the Lord. And, and, and just make it just this, where every person that comes to Galveston buys a $50 ticket just to see it. It's not going to impress me more than Jesus. I'm not going to be more impressed with that. More than Jesus. This whole story about these lepers is to get us to realize you have to stay focused upon Him. Not on what He produces. Thank God He will be the productive force of your life if you will let Him. But never let what He produces impress you more than who He is in your life. Amen? Praise God. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that you enjoyed the podcast. For service times and special events, visit our webpage at www.islandchurchgalveston.com You can contact us by phone at 409-770-9113 We are located at 2411 69th Street, Galveston, Texas And remember to keep looking unto Jesus He is the author and the finisher of our faith